tend to skip over unfamiliar words when you encounter them in the Bible or in sermons? If so, you might have missed the meaning of anointing. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah aims to fix that. He'll explain the importance of anointing and discuss the difference it meant for young David, as well as Christians now. To conclude his message, man appoints, but God anoints. Here's David. And you know, for all of my life as a pastor, I've always wondered exactly what does it mean when somebody says you're anointed? Now, in the Old Testament, we know that because they anointed their kings with oil. But today, we say, oh, he's an anointed preacher, or that was an anointed song, or she's an anointed singer. And um, I think it'd be very interesting for us to actually get behind that word and discover how deep it really goes. God's hand upon somebody is a really amazing thing. And uh, David is teaching us that. One of the things he's teaching us is that God doesn't just use perfect people. He uses broken vessels. And David certainly qualifies under that category. We'll learn more about it on today's edition of Turning Point as we continue our journey talking about the tender warrior the life of David from the Old Testament with all of the applications. By the way, there's a couple of study guides for this series. I I have them here at my desk, and they're beautifully redesigned. The color is amazing. Uh, Volumes 1 and 2 for the life of David will help you follow us as we go through this extended study, and will give you a, a really good outline of his life For future reference, if you don't have the study guides, you can get them at davidjeremiah.org. You'll see them displayed, and you can order them and have them sent to your home. By the way, that's the same website you should go to if you're thinking about going to Israel with us only. Just go to davidjeremiah.org slash events. There you will see the layout of the Israel trip and what we're planning to do, where we're planning to go. And I need to tell you, folks, this is like nothing I can ever remember the early response to Israel is uh, is amazing, and uh, we don't want you to be left out. So if you're planning to go with us, I hope you'll jump on the train as soon as you can. And right now, we need to get started with uh, part two of Man Appoints, But God Anoints from 1 Samuel chapter 16. What kind of a man is God looking for? Listen, here is his search party request. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. That's the way God looks. He's looking for somebody that's got a perfect heart. Somebody who his heart is toward God. God looked at Eliab and God looked at Aminadab, and God looked at Shammah, and God looked at all the rest of the sons, and he said, they're okay as the outward appearance goes, but I'm looking for something that goes deeper. I am not so concerned about outward appearance. I am concerned about inward attitude, spirituality. Now, the second thing we learn about God's choices and his requirements for anointing are number two, God is not looking for a strong spirit. God is looking for a servant spirit. Turn to Psalm 89, verse 18. Verses 18 through 20, we see some various qualifications for leadership. Now watch carefully. For the Lord is our defense and the Holy One of Israel is our King. 
Then thou speakest in vision to thy Holy One and saidst, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. And then verse 20 says, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. Now the qualification here is that God is not looking for a strong spirit. He's looking for a servant heart. Saul had a strong spirit. He was chosen by the people. And Saul had many accomplishments. He was a man with strong initiative and strong spirit. But David was a servant. In fact, if you'll turn back in the Psalms, just a couple of pages to the 78th Psalm, you will notice this principle again, that the requirement that God wants in his people, the one he is going to anoint for service, he's more interested in their servanthood than in their strong spirit. In Psalm 78 and verse 70, we read it again. The psalmist says, He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. Where did David come from? He came from a servant position. He came from taking care of the stinking sheep. He came from out on the hillside where he followed the flocks around. And God looked down and saw him in his service and said, that's one of the qualities I need in the man I'm going to anoint. If you understand leadership, and I'm sure that most of us do not fully understand it, but if you comprehend it, the more you understand about it, the more you recognize that leadership is, first of all, servanthood. In the Christian world, we have taken leadership and turned it on its head. In the secular world, the concept of leadership is like a triangle, like this. In leadership, you start at the bottom. And at the bottom, there are many people on this level. And as you work your way up in the secular world, you work up to another level, a little above the bottom level, and there are fewer people there. And you keep moving up in the triangle until if you make it to the top, you are at the apex of the triangle, you are at the top, and all of these people are serving you. But you know what happens in the Christian world? God takes that and he just turns it upside down. And the Bible says, he that would be great among you, let him be the what? The least. In the secular world, the question we ask is, how many people are serving me? In the spiritual or in the Christian world, we ask, how many people am I serving? In the Christian world, you're down at the bottom in so many respects. And all the people who work with you, you are serving them. You are meeting their needs. You are trying to to be a servant to them. And that's the quality God was looking for. He needed a servant leader in Israel who could take the needs of the people and put them first and meet their needs in a servant spirit. You see, that's not something that you can see on the outside. That doesn't appear on the resume. You won't find that in the first interview. And that's one of the reasons why when we're getting personnel or when we're working to try to build an organization, sometimes it's very difficult to look at a man's heart, to look at his servant attitude and find out whether that's the person God is really going to use in our midst. But God is not interested in the outward appearance. He's interested in the spiritual attitude. And God is not interested in our strong spirit. He's interested in our servant spirit. And the third requirement that I think of as relates to David and his anointing is that God is not necessarily looking for a public person, 
often he's looking for a private person. Many of the leaders that God has used in this world to affect change for the kingdom have been people who have been plucked out of a very secluded environment. And where did God get David? Out serving in the public marketplace? No, he found David back on the backside of the hills of Bethlehem where his only companions were the sheep. He was out there by himself where nobody could watch and nobody could see and nobody could know. But what was going on in the heart of David out there was God's preparation to bring him ultimately to a place of leadership. Just like he cured Moses on the desert for his leadership. Just like he cured Joseph down in Egypt for his leadership. God has always had a a special place in his selection for people who come out of a rather private life. What was going on with David while he was tending the sheep? (laughs) Wasted time? No. God was teaching David lessons out there in the wilderness that would ultimately put him in good stead for the challenges he would face later. By the way, how was David ultimately plummeted to the throne of Israel? It started in his victory over Goliath. Do you know where the victory over Goliath started? It started in the private time of David in the wilderness. We'll get to that shortly, but let me just jump ahead with you for a moment and ask you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I want you to note David's little testimony about some of the lessons that he was learning out there secluded where nobody was watching but God. 1 Samuel 17, 33. David has volunteered to go fight the giant and Saul's trying to talk him out of it. And Saul said to him, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're but a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. What is David saying? You know, I love Saul. God be with you. And have at it, David. But what is this saying? David is about to step in to the most public arena of his life. Can you get the picture? All of Israel's gathered over here, and all of the Philistines gathered over here, and on center stage is Goliath and David. He's about to make his public appearance. But guess where he got ready for it? On the backside of the hills of Bethlehem, fighting the daily battles that a shepherd boy has to deal with and learning how to be courageous when nobody was there to observe. That's where God prepares his people. Young people, you probably wonder what in the world you are doing here taking on a four-year course in college. What in the world does sitting in my secluded room late into the night at my carol, with my books open, poring over my notes. What does that have to do with anything that's anything at all? And I want to tell you something. What God is teaching you in private 
in the personal discipline of your own life is going to determine whether or not you can be anointed servant of God in the future. Because I want to tell you something, friends. The ministry, if we use that as an example, is a very small portion of the public life and a great deal of the private life. The ministry is stepping in front of people for a few moments on Sunday and opening the word of God to teach and preach the word. But if you haven't spent the time privately, faithfully before God, pouring over the word and getting the things that God wants you to say, it will not be long before your public ministry will be worthless. And God is looking for that person who will do it before God privately so that he can take him out of that private arena and put him in a place of anointed usefulness. How different God is from the way we are. What different requirements that he has. We want a public person, we find a public person. We want a gifted person, we evaluate his outward gifts. But God's way is different. As the high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his ways above our ways in the requirements. Let me suggest to you, lastly, not only the responsibility for anointing is God's, not only the requirements for anointing is God's, but the response to anointing is God's as well. You know, I can't help as I read the Bible, but think how I would write the story if I had been the author. If you had taken David's story now, and Samuel has come, and he's selected David out of the eight sons of Jesse. He's pointed him, and he said, he's the one. And he's taken the horn of oil and poured it over David. And we have no way of knowing if David understood what was going on. But the next chapter ought to read something like this. And Samuel took David by the arm and led him to Jerusalem and took him to the kingdom and took him to the palace and introduced him to the people. Here is your new king. And David ascended the steps of the palace and took his place upon the royal throne and they proclaimed him the great new king of the people. That's how we'd write it. That seems like the next chapter. But you know what happened? David's about 16 when the oils poured on his head. You know when he became king? When he was 30. 14 years later, David became the king. You say, Pastor, what in the world was he doing all that time? Well, he had two main occupations between his anointing and his ultimate proclamation as king. You know what they were? Number one, he went back to the sheep. Now he's a spirit-filled shepherd. All right? Number two, he's a fugitive. His two main occupations after he got anointed was he went back to taking care of the sheep for a while and then he became a fugitive when Saul got after him and between his anointing and the establishment of his kingdom the two main things in his life were running after sheep and running away from Saul. You say, Pastor, that doesn't sound like the kind of anointed life I'd like to live. Notice, the scripture says that when he became king. If you have your Bible still open to the 16th chapter. In the 13th verse it says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. David became spirit filled the day he was anointed as a 16 year old boy. I've just, I've gone wild this week thinking of what that must have meant. Do you think his songs got better? What we need today are some spirit filled hymn writers. David now is a spirit-filled hymn writer. 
And everything about his life has a new quality. He's not the king yet, but he knows he will be. And I can't help but think that in our world today, in yours and in mine, we tend to think that the anointing is for the major things in life and we forget that the spirit-filled life is the life God has given to you and to me so that we might live in the realm of the humdrum. You say, Pastor, where do you get that? It's very evident that that's true in the scripture. Ephesians teaches us the spirit-filled life. Do you know the passage? Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, submitting one to another. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, provoke not your children. What is all that? That's the laboratory of the Spirit-filled life. Colossians chapter 3, be filled with the Word of God in all richness. And what will happen? You'll be submitting one to another. Husbands, you'll be loving your wives. Wives, you'll be submitting to your husbands. Children, you'll be obeying your parents. Parents, you'll not be lording it over your children, but you'll be nurturing and admonishing them in the things of God. Why? When you are spirit-filled, the laboratory for that is not always the throne of the kingdom. It is often the humdrum of life. Let me tell you something. Where we need to be spirit-filled more than any place else is at home. That's where you can't fake it. That's where you need it every day for the challenges and the trials and the pressures that come to your life so that you can reflect Jesus Christ in front of your own. And when David was filled with the Spirit, he had to learn how to live that life out in the context of following sheep and running from Saul before ever he could be Spirit-empowered as the King of Israel. The response is of God. Note the bottom line. That day when Samuel poured the oil on David's head, a transition took place that was not affected for many years, but ultimately took place. Notice the 13th verse. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Notice the 14th verse. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. God said, I have chosen a new man. And he took his spirit and put that spirit within David, and he anointed him with power. And David became God's king in waiting. Two things that come to my mind as we close. Two thoughts. Number one, this encourages me. I hope it will encourage you. God is doing his work at a time when we are not aware of it. God is doing his work even at a time we are not aware of it. Think with me now. Samuel is trudging his way up to Jesse's house. He's got the sacrifice with him. He's got the horn of oil ready to anoint the new king. Samuel on his way to the house of Jesse. David out in the fields watching the sheep. Did David know what God was doing over here? Not yet. Did David know that God had been searching and trying to find and ultimately selecting and then commanding and choosing that he would be the king? Not yet. But the fact that David didn't know it didn't stop God from doing it. God was at work even when David wasn't aware. Now you see, when we look back on our lives, we all know that, don't we? We look back and we see 
Oh, I didn't understand what God was doing here, but now I see it. He was at work over here while I was over here, and I didn't even know it. And sometimes we need to be encouraged with that truth, men and women, because there are times in your life and in mine when the only way we can summarize it is with a big question mark. What is this all about? What is going on in my... God, have you forgotten me? And as we observe David, let us remember that God is at work even at a time we are not aware of it. Secondly, God is doing his work in a way we are not acquainted with. One of the reasons why we can't always see what God is doing is not only because it is hidden from us, which is often true, but sometimes God is doing things which we can see, but his way of doing it is so different than our way of doing it, we don't even recognize it. The only thing we have that we can deal with, the only observations we have that we understand are the observations that come out of our experience in life. But God does his work in such a different way that it's almost imperceptible to us sometimes. God looks at the heart while we're looking at what a person looks like. God looks at a person in private while we examine their public domain. And we need to understand that what God is about is so different than what we're acquainted with. But let me say it clearly. While he's at work at a time we're not aware of and doing his work in a way we're not acquainted with, God is at work. He searched him. He found him. He commanded him. He anointed him. He provided him. God did it. God is at work. And when David would one day stand before his people, lead them into the greatness that we so well will understand before we're finished with this series, we will see as we look back in time and back in history that it started way back when, when God looked to and fro throughout the earth seeking out a man and he selected a little shepherd boy and brought him to greatness. And God is at work in some of your lives. He's choosing and wooing and drawing you. Some of you who need to know him personally. Some of you who need to follow him in a public way as far as your own personal walk with God. Perhaps some of you he is calling to be more involved in, in the service of the local church by way of coming into the fellowship and encouraging those who minister here as a fellow minister. But God is at work. And we must pray with all of our hearts that while God is doing the work, we will be listening for his voice and ready to respond. God called David, and David, in the very same way that the one who poured the oil upon his head had one time said, David said, here am I. I'm willing. Amen. I always love the story of uh, David being selected after all of the people everybody thought should be selected weren't selected and God said, no, th these aren't the right people. And here's David back in the, in the backwoods almost uh, taking care of a very, what he probably thought, unimportant task, just watching over the sheep. And God called him. You know what? God can find you wherever you are. If you're on his list, if he wants you, he'll come after you. And when he comes and he calls... Be like David. Say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Well, tomorrow, uh, listen to this title, Saul's Moods 
and David's music. If you've ever uh, thought music had a ministry beyond just being a blessing to your ears, you should listen uh, tomorrow and find more evidence of that. Music is a very powerful tool. I love music, and anything in the Bible about music always catches my attention. Here is one of those incidents that's before us tomorrow. Our resource for the month of uh, June is the Focused Life, a daily devotional that packages together the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs so that you can read through both of those books in in an organized way in one month. The book is beautifully designed in leather, golden uh, letters on the front of the book. We've called this book The Focused Life because it focuses your life on Proverbs and on Psalms, and we want you to have it for a gift of any size. Just ask for it when you send your gift today. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is helping you to grow your faith, please share it with us by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life, a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book, yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand with our streaming service, Turning Point Plus, all for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and Seven Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. Dorothy Parker was an American poet writer, well known for her satire and wisecracks. It is said that when she heard the news that President Calvin Coolidge had died, she asked, how could they tell? Well, I can't say that I admire her perspective on that sad occasion. Her words do raise a good point. There should be evidence of life in all who profess to be a Christian. 
The New Testament says we were dead in our sins before knowing Christ and that being born again means a brand new life in the Spirit. There should be plenty of evidence if someone is truly alive in Christ. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's life on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.